Welcome to The Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now, get ready to think. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of The Think Podcast with Joel Sedeckes. I'm Joel Sedeckes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Well, we have got a really fascinating conversation, what I'm sure is going to be a, re- a really fascinating conversation with um, with Roy Schwartz. Roy, well, I'll tell you more about him in just a second. And if you've been watching the podcast, um, listening to the podcast over the last few months, um, specifically over the last seven weeks, there's a significance to that number, then you'll know exactly who Roy Schwartz is. And if you know me, you probably know who he is as well. But um, let me just really quick talk about a couple of housekeeping items. So if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, we are right now, as I speak, at 894 subscribers. 1,000 subscribers is our goal. We're trying to get there, and we're very close. So if you're watching this, listening to this, uh, if you're watching, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit the bell. That's very important so that you never miss a moment of the content that we're putting out to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And if you are listening on the podcast, if you're on your phone, why don't you hop over to YouTube right now, just hit subscribe. Also, if you're listening on the podcast, please leave us an honest five-star rating and review. And what that does is that helps uh, Apple Podcasts know that um, people like our show and it helps get the word out about our about the podcast, about the ThinkPod, the Think Institute Network. All right. Um, now, let's get into the show. Also, if you're watching live, I'm assuming you're going to have some questions. I'm, gonna, I'm assuming you're going to have some comments. One of the benefits of watching live is you can ask those comments live. So post them in the comments, um, post your questions, post your feedback, and we've already got Slam RN watching. So Slam RN, hello, thank you for watching. Really, really glad you're with us, and uh, this is going to be a really great episode. So let's talk about it. The Jewish festival known as Shavuot goes by many other names, like the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits. Most Christians, however, know it as Pentecost, and think of it as the day when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And we read about that in Acts 2, verses 1 through 47. But did you ever stop to think about why God chose that day to send the Holy Spirit? After all, the Old Covenant religious feasts and festivals all had very important significance. And yes, for God's people Israel then, but also for God's people today. And God never does anything without a good reason. That sort of goes without saying. It kind of goes by definition. So what was God's reason for sending the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Well, today... Roy Schwartz is going to reveal the biblical importance of Shavuot, of Pentecost, how it points to the Messiah, and what meaning believers can draw from it today. So specifically, we're going to talk about what Shavuot is, what that word means, how the festival was celebrated um, and still is celebrated, the connection between the first first fruits and the second first fruits. We'll get more into that as well if that piques your interest, and then how to draw on the meaning of Shavuot or Pentecost in order to share the good news about the Messiah, about Jesus, with your Jewish friends and family members, neighbors, and co-workers. So, without any further ado, let me go ahead and reintroduce to you 
My father-in-law, Roy Schwartz. Dad, how are you? Oops, I got you muted there. Okay, there we go. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, Joe. Well, um, you are the Midwest Regional Director of Chosen People Ministries and uh, the author of Where Jesus Walked, a book examining over 50 portions of Jesus' life and showing how the Old Testament prophets foretold those moments and those those uh, instances in Jesus' life. Your teaching regularly focuses on the Jewish holy days. This is what you do. This is the kind of conversation and the kind of teaching that you do and have quite often. And so um, for the last seven weeks, I've been looking forward to having you back on so we can talk about this important holiday. So why don't we just start with what is Shavuot and why was this festival instituted? Well, first, let me say to those who are listening, who are Christians, whether you like it or not, Jesus made you kosher. He's grafted you into a Jewish covenant. The new covenant is a covenant that God made with Israel, of which now you are a partaker. And so these holy days that God gave to his people, not only did he give them to the Jewish people, but he gave them to you. And they foreshadow God's redemptive program. So Shavuot is the second of three pilgrim festivals. There are actually seven holy days that God gave to Israel. They're outlined in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. The first one is Passover. The second one is uh, unleavened bread, which runs concurrently with Passover. The third one occurs on the Sabbath after Passover called Bikurim or first first fruits. There are actually two first fruits, the offering of the barley harvest. That always occurs on the day after the Sabbath that follows Passover. Then we begin counting 50 days and we have a new offering of first fruits, which begins the wheat harvest and the, the summer harvest. And that's where what Shavuot is. The word Shavuot means weeks, seven weeks. It actually comes from the root word meaning um, covenant, uh, to swear or to, to covenant with, with uh, his people. So that's what Shavuot is, the, the root of that word, weeks. In the Greek, it is translated to Pentecost, meaning 50 days afterwards. Uh, it's actually 50 days from the day after the Sabbath of Passover. And that's why it's called Pentecost in the Greek. And, uh, and most Christians are, have a Greek perspective rather than a Jewish perspective. And so they call it Pentecost. Okay, so you mentioned that there's the first first fruits and the second first fruits and no surprise that the holy days work together um, yeah absolutely i mean passover it was no coincidence that jesus died on passover we're up to the jewish leaders they wanted to wait till after passover because everybody was coming into town because god had commanded all jews to present themselves on passover the day after the Sabbath of Passover, when the priest was offering the offering of first fruits to the Lord, or Bikurim as it's known, Jesus rose from the dead, as Paul notes in 1 Corinthians, now Messiah, Christ, is risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who are to sleep. So he died on Passover, a Jewish holy day, during the week of unleavened bread, because he was without sin, and on the day after the Sabbath, the next holy day, uh, first fruits, he rose from the dead, and he is the first fruits of the resurrection. So, when, by coincidence, as luck would have it. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that amazing how that worked out by chance like that? You know? Yes, right. Uh, it really is incredible. The more you learn about the, um, the, the Jewish background to 
what's going on in the New Testament, the more the events really do come to life. And I, I think it's amazing how the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the first fruits, which you know, even if you didn't know about Shavuot, Shavuot, you could kind of figure it out. Okay, first fruits, there's going to be, you know, later harvesting that's going to happen. Um, but he's making, you're saying he's making a specific reference to Shavuot. Is that right? Absolutely. The early church understood its Jewish connection. I think the early church celebrated Passover, and I think they understood the meaning and depth of Shavuot or Pentecost in its fullness because Paul taught it to them. So what is the relationship there between the first first fruits and the second first fruits? What was the first first fruits? Um, the first fruits was a, a, a call by God to acknowledge to the Lord that he owns everything. And we are to give the very first sheaf that comes out of the ground to him, saying that, that we acknowledge he is God, that he is the provider of everything. And that was the day God chose to cause the Messiah to rise from the dead, hmm. the first fruits of the harvest. He actually is giving to us the indication that there's even going to be a greater harvest. When we, when we uh, trust Jesus, uh, we have the first fruits of that promise in his resurrection. And, and then he told his disciples to wait for what was going to come 50 days later the offering of uh, Shavuot, which is when the, the Spirit of God came came upon the believers, the early church, and the, the real harvest began. Jesus is the first fruit, and then the greater harvest is the, the church. And at that point, it was the disciples. I can't hear you, Joel, for some reason. Got it, thanks. So the, um, I, I was on mute there for a second. Uh, so. As you know, having four kids in the background, it sometimes it helps to uh, to to stay muted while we're yes, while, I understand completely. Um, so the the first first fruits that was the barley harvest, correct? Correct. Now, is there any significance there um, with the fact that it's barley and barley? At least in um, in Gideon's time, there was that dream that the Midianite soldier had of the barley roll the barley cake rolling down into the camp and that represented israel is there a connection between barley and israel is that is that a, i'm sure a, there is but i i'm not, i i i can't speak to that but i i will tell you this that barley was a um a kind of a raw a low a lower class uh, harvest oh yeah right and, that's and right humble, yeah humble and it seems appropriate that that god who humbled himself mm. chose that day to rise from the dead yeah, really amazing. That that's right because Jesus humbled himself to the point of uh, to the status of a servant, a slave, right? And even humbling himself to death on yeah. a cross, right? Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so there's the first harvest of barley, and Jesus rises. So while the Jewish people there in Jerusalem were waving that first sheaf, mm -hmm. Jesus was rising from the dead, or at least uh, right around that time. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And and in waving that sheaf, it was a signal to, to the Lord that God, in their obedience, that God was going to give them a harvest that would come 50 days later. The first fruits was a, was a down payment, if you will, an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from you, Lord. Okay. So so there's clearly such a connection here. It's, it's so obvious. My question is, um, 
this is such a, a clear sign. Who is the sign for? Because the Jewish people at that time, while they were waving the sheaf, they didn't know that their Messiah had just risen from the dead. They, they, they weren't aware of that. So, um, you know, is this, is it a sign for us? Is it, is it, is the purpose of this, you know, what's not a coincidence, but you know, we call it a coincidence in scare quotes is the purpose so that we marvel at God's ability to plan things. What is the significant, why did God choose to have all these major events like the resurrection occur on these Jewish holy days? I think we find the answer in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, where Paul says, let no man act as your judge in regard to a new moon, a holy day, a Sabbath. These days were a shadow of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Messiah. Mm. And so I, I believe that word really means a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so each one of the holy days foreshadows something in God's redemptive program. Passover speaks of deliverance from bondage and slavery in the beginning of our journey to the promised land. Uh, Unleavened bread speaks of the time, uh, the call that God is separating his people as his holy people. Leaven speaks of sin. Unleavened bread is a reminder that we are holy to the Lord. And, and the day after the Sabbath of Passover is that first fruits offering, which points to the the foreshadowing of Jesus's resurrection, the first fruits of those who would rise from the dead. Okay, so these these shadows there, they are to teach us. Is that is that why they're there? Yeah, and to and to demonstrate that that the the Old Testament is inextricably linked to the New Testament. That's I think what Paul is trying to say that 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 the law is holy, righteous, and good. But the law is weak, and what the law could not do, God did in sending His Son, the Messiah. Got it. Got it. Okay, so uh, I'm reminded of the song that we sing at Passover, Dainu. You know, uh, if if God had just saved His people out of Israel, if He'd just given them the law, hey, listen, that would have been enough. But we know it, He did so much more. He did so much more. He did so much more, and and uh, and not only that, but He chose to weave everything together in this uh you know this seamless garment um i i remember this saying this this uh, statement that you made one time i was catechizing our kids jacob probably and um one of the questions in my catechism is how do we know what the new testament means or no how do we know what the old testament means and the answer is like a good new covenant theologian of course i wrote this the answer is the, the new covenant uh how do we know what the old testament means the new testament helps us know what it means it and, is it is the biblical Talmud. It's the way we okay, interpret explain that, please. the Talmud or the Jewish commentaries to understand the Old Testament. Yes. But God has given us a biblical understanding of the law, why the law was given, what the law points to, what the law means. And the biblical Talmud, that is the biblical instruction, the God-given instruction on what the Old Testament means is, is found in the New Covenant. We can't understand the Old Testament fully. Yeah. without the new testament yeah yeah that 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 makes so much sense um and you also said at that point i don't even know if you remember saying this you said the old testament also helps us know what the new testament means exactly so it's the foundation of everything uh, imagine building a skyscraper with uh, on a slab it wouldn't have much footing it wouldn't have mm. much stability and so god gave us a foundation for the new covenant by giving us the law and the prophets and the writings all of that is the footings for the new covenant and in order of us to really appreciate the grace of god the love of god the the incredible mind of god 
uh, and we're not that we'll ever fully understand it, but but in order to begin to comprehend it, we need to know the Old Testament because it is the foundation of our faith. So, um, the the language of foundation makes me think of um, the the Apostle Paul when he says the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. Um, I remember speaking with another friend of mine who's um, well, I'm sure you'd know him. But uh, he's Messianic Jewish, and he was saying um, that word prophets. I interpret that to mean New Testament prophets. He he interpreted it to mean Old Covenant prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. What's your understanding of that? Just kind of well, a side I think, both, I think they're both prophets. I think uh, the New Covenant prophets and the Old Covenant prophets are part of the foundation. Okay, so you, you see them both as the, as being covered by that. Yeah, term. that I mean, makes sense. It, 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 these are the ones who God used to convey and teach His truth to us. Okay, so, so here we are in the New Covenant era, the New Testament era, and we can now look back on festivals, feast days like Shavuot, and we can see, wow, this this is, uh, it was meaningful then. It was a way of thanking God then for the the earthly harvest, but. Um, it's got all this theological significance for us today. Absolutely. And that and that's why we are more accountable to God even than the Jewish people, because God has given us the entire canon, the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because you've got so just like in um with the the old covenant feast days, you've got the first first fruits, which uh, that's pronounced bikarim, is that right? Yes. Okay, so you've got bikarim, which is the barley harvest, and then fifty days later you've got um, shavuot, and clearly Jesus is that fulfillment of bikarim. His resurrection, he rose on bikarim. Right. Um, my understanding of when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead, first fruits of the dead. He's saying the second first fruits then, or the the second harvest then, is going to be the resurrection. But on Pentecost, that wasn't the resurrection. That was the giving of the Holy Spirit. So how are we to understand that? Well, as I understand it, in the in, when when the Jews were in the land, the focus was on the harvest because it it, it began the harvest, and, and those offerings were acknowledgement that all of that we have is from Him. But it was also the anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, ah. and so it, it was it was on that day that God gave the law to Moses, and when he came down from the mountain, and actually when that law was given, and and when Israel stood at the foot of the mountain and received the law, they were acknowledging God as their husband, um, and that's what Jeremiah writes about. Uh, Behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with my fathers, with your fathers, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. I'll write my law in their hearts. So Jeremiah saw and, and Israel understood that when the law was given on Pentecost, 50 days later, Shavuot, that's when the law was given. God entered into a marriage covenant with his people, but they broke that law and uh, they broke that covenant. So, so God needed to make a new covenant. By the way, the day the covenant was given, 3,000 people died. You'll remember that they were involved when Moses came down from right. the mountain in idolatry. 
and the Levites went through and killed 3,000 people who were involved in that sexual immorality and idolatry. And, um, and on that anniversary of that day, some 1,500 years later, I lost you there for a second. Looks like we're a little frozen. Um, I'm going to wait and see. Okay, I think I think you're back now. All right. So, so uh, on that day, 1,500 years later. 1,500 years after the law was given on Mount Sinai, in the same day, the new covenant that came into the hearts of believers. That's And God, this is the second holy day that all Jews were commanded to be present. Everybody was there on Passover so that they could behold the Lamb of God. They were also sticking around for the first fruits, the resurrection of Jesus. It was all happening when all Israel was present. Then he said, I want you to come back 50 mm -hmm. days later. And, and Jews began to offer the offerings of the first fruits. But it was on that day, the beginning of the harvest, on that day that God, the anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, that God poured out the evidence of the new covenant in which the law would not be written on stone, but the law would be written on their hearts. Right. So this is the beginning of the new covenant, the beginning of the church, the beginning of the time where where both Jews and Gentiles would be made kosher, would be made part of God's covenant people. It's interesting, Joe, part of the offerings by the high priest was the priest would wave two loaves of bread um, before the Lord in the temple. And this I, is on I, Shavuot? On Shavuot, when they in that that when when uh, the apostles were waiting in the upper room, at that moment the priest was the high priest was waving two loaves of bread as part of the offerings for Shavuot, hmm. and, and I think in heaven at that time Jesus was offering two loaves of bread, Jew and Gentile. I like to think of one as a rye bread and the other as white bread, you know, <laughs> Jew and Gentile, and and uh, and and the Lord was offering those two loaves before the Lord, Jew and Gentile. And on that day, we read in Acts chapter 2, they were Jews and proselytes, Gentiles, who had converted to Judaism mm -hmm. and, and God-fearers. And the Spirit of God was poured out, and the church began. 3,000 souls came to life when, when Peter stood up. When the law was given on Mount Sinai, 3,000 souls died. On the day the new covenant was given, 3,000 souls came to life. You know, Paul, I mean, right, the writer of Hebrews talks about when the law was given, there was fear and trembling. But on the day the new covenant was given, there was a gentle breeze. There was a, mm. there was life. There was peace. Uh, it, it was a, whole, a stark difference between old and new. And, and God divinely set up that day as part of setting his um, covenant and, and setting the stage mm. for the new covenant where, where we would be made one and the church would begin jew and gentile that is just unbelievable uh totally cool and um so so do you do you think that will there be a future fulfillment of shavuot like do you think shavuot will somehow be connected to the resurrection if jesus was was raised then or 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 was Pentecost that was the fulfillment? Like yeah, we are we it. are we actually experience resurrection the moment we receive Yeshua. We we uh, die, we die with Him, and are risen with Him, which is what baptism, baptism signifies. Yeah, that's a picture of baptism, buried in the likeness of His death, risen with the likeness of of His resurrection. As believers, we're not waiting to die; we've already died. Amen. And so you know, we we when we. Physically, when we give up this body, we are absent from the body, but present with the Lord. And so I think all of that has been fulfilled in Shavuot, the, the, the resurrection life, the kingdom has come. We are now 
a part of the kingdom of God. It's now, but not yet. That's a really good point. So, Jesus, the first fruits from the dead, rose on uh, Bikarim, and then all those 3,000 souls on Pentecost who were saved, who heard, heard the word and received the Holy Spirit, they were spiritually resurrected. They received brand new life. That's right. Man. And they're part of the kingdom. Amazing. So, what uh, what do you do? I know Pentecost is a really busy time for you. You go and speak in a lot of churches, a lot of churches who are rediscovering some of these festivals. You know, you'll go and you'll host a Seder. Is is Pentecost, uh, Shavuot, is that a similarly busy time or not as much? Not as much because most Christians and most churches, you know, are disconnected from their Jewish roots and, and are clueless about it, really. I mean, they, they know that it that there's a link. The pastors certainly know. They've been trained in it. They know the Bible. But most Christians don't see the connection because most pastors don't see it as being relevant or important. And so most churches don't teach the connection that they have from old and new. And okay. so, yeah, I mean, my, my, my prayer is that the church will understand their connection to the Jewish people. Paul gave all of these things so the church would provoke the Jews to jealousy. And instead, without our understanding of that, the church has just simply provoked the Jews. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So what is a way that, um, you know, for, for any pastors who may listen to this or uh, people, you know, churchmen, churchwomen who are going to watch this and are motivated by the theological significance of Shavuot, what is something that you would encourage them to do? Should, you know, for Passover, it's like, well, let's have a Seder and let's talk about the Seder in light of the Messiah. Um is there something similar that we can do for you know, a lot of churches do celebrate Pentecost, especially more of your your Pentecostal, obviously, uh, your charismatic churches, but specifically drawing on the Jewish history of of the day. What would you recommend churches do? Well, I, I think having, you know, someone come and share the, the Jewish connection, as we're talking about right now, helps because it just mm. strengthens our faith. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. And seeing that the new covenant is rooted in something that has been established by the Lord in 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 the uh, Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament, I think will strengthen believers' faith and prepare them to share that their faith is Jewish. And 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 when Christians understand that they have been made kosher, that they've been part that they've been made part of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that, that uh, there's a, a relationship to the law that they have and, and, and yet, um, you know, and understand these things, that's how they're gonna, their faith is going to be strengthened, but also they'll have the equipment to share with Jewish people this connection so that accepting Jesus is not a Gentile thing, it's a Jewish thing. Yeah. To believe in Jesus is the most Jewish thing in the world because we're talking about a Jewish king, a Jewish scripture, uh, all the Bible, all the books of the Bible written by Jews, with the exception of Luke, and I always say he must have been a Jew also because he was a doctor. <laughs> uh, what about Mark? Was Mark Jewish? Yeah. Oh, Mark. yeah. I guess he was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, I hear you say this, and you know when when you look at the Jewish holidays, they so clearly point to the Messiah. And yet, so many of our Jewish neighbors and friends, co-workers, family members, 
don't see that. And I know that there has been a history. It's like you said, many Christians have provoked the Jews in the past. Um, wh- why, why is it today, in today's day and age, it, it, let me ask you this, is it enough to go to our Jewish neighbors and family and friends and say, hey, you know, look, let me tell you about how I understand Shavuot. Um, can we use this as an evangelistic tool? Absolutely. I mean, that's what's going to provoke Jewish people. That's what provoked me to the Lord. Mm. When Gentiles knew more about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob than I did. And I was bar mitzvah Orthodox. Right. But they, and they were on a first name basis with my family, with my people, with my history. And I thought, what are you Gentiles doing with my God? I, m- I remember going to, to see the movie Exodus. That's how old I am when it first came out. I went to the theaters and here were a bunch of nuns. I was like, what are they doing here? This is our movie. And, and, and so those kind of things is pl- planted in my mind that, you know, there's some sort of link here and I'm not getting it. I don't understand it. And, and, and when I met some Christians who, you know, had that kind of relationship and could bridge that to me, rather than say that, Christ, you know, everything that's Jewish is, is demonic or old or, or cursed or so on, which is what most Christians have in their mindset that, that, Everything in the past is is ancient and old and dead and and uh, brings wrath and judgment. Whereas no, all of that points to the Messiah. the The law is holy. The law is righteous. The Lord is good. Yeah. And when believers understand that, then they'll provoke Jewish people to jealousy for the God of Israel, and they'll strengthen their own faith. Did I tell you about when Lucas was in the hospital? I had that conversation with a conservative. Jewish man, and uh, th- did I tell you about that? I think you did, but remind me. Okay, so we're we're there, and we're both in the the family great room, and uh, Lu- Lucas was just coming into the hospital. We didn't know what was going on with his heart yet. This is back in 2019, and I'm in there, and there's another gentleman in there, and I forget his first name, but um, we're talking, and you know, I, we're there in the hospital. I'm I'm looking for an inroad to share the gospel with this gentleman. And we're, we're, we're speaking and I, I figured the hospital is a great place to share the gospel, you know? And, um, turns out he's Jewish. He's conservative, which I'd never met. I'd met reformed Jews, uh, Jewish people. And, but I'd never met anybody who's conservative. And I'm like, well, so that's kind of a midpoint between Orthodox and, and reform. You know, how, how do you understand that? And thinking about what you've told me in the past, I started talking about Isaiah 53 mm-hmm. and, I go to speak with him and I say, well, you know, have you ever read Isaiah 53? And you can guess what he said. No. No, I've never read it. (laughs) I said, said, okay, well, um, you know, let me me tell you about it. And I open it up and I show him. In his scriptures, in his Bible. In his Bible. But you know what the amazing thing is? Uh, So first of all, he goes, yeah, I can see how that, that really does look like Jesus. I can totally see how you believe that. And then, and then I said, well, do you believe that this is God's word, that, that Isaiah was a prophet and this is God's word? And he said, well, I think so. It's not officially recognized by, I don't know, his synagogue or his rabbi. It's not officially recognized. And I looked at him and I said, look, my friend, I believe in your scriptures more than you do. I believe in your prophet. You're not even, you know, this is God's word. You know, Isaiah is a prophet. You're you know, you're, you're waffling on this because clearly it's talking about, uh, Jesus, but you know, this is God's word. And what am I a Gentile doing with your prophet and your Messiah? And he, you know, he kind of laughs, but he totally saw my point. 
And it was one of these moments of kind of stirring up jealousy. And my Jew, because the point is, I wasn't trying to taunt him. I wanted him to have the Messiah as well. Right. right. That's right. And as you know those things, you know, you're blessed in your own faith, but you're also able to share with a Jewish person. And so as as Christians better understand the Torah, the five books of Moses, and how that foreshadows God's redemptive program, they are better equipped to talk with uh, non-religious Jews, with religious Jews, even Orthodox Jews, about the yeah. God of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, if people want to learn more about the connections between Shavuot and the New Covenant, the Holy Days, and our relationship with God, you know, in the in the New Covenant era, where can they go? Where, where how can they find out more? Okay, there's two places. Uh, first of all, my website, RoySchwartz.org. I have a commentary on uh, on Genesis and Exodus and various other the Jewish Holy Days and so on. Uh, if they'd like to be a part of a, a Bible study, a weekly Bible study, and we're doing now Exodus and doing um, Deuteronomy, finishing up Deuteronomy, if they'd like to see how old and new fit together, they can they can participate in a Zoom class that I do where we have dialogue and questions and answers and go through the scriptures and show how old and new fit together. So those are those are two uh, things that they can do to un to begin to learn about this. Where can they join the, the Zoom? At RoySchwartz.org, there's lists of events, and there's a place where they can sign up to be on the mailing list oh, okay. for the Zoom classes. All right, so you can go to RoySchwartz, that's S-C-H-W-A-R-C as in cat, Z as in zebra, dot org, and um, you, you people can check that out. Join, uh, I mean, you guys have already gotten a taste of this already, but, I mean, you can already tell. Um, Roy has... A, a, a very unique teaching gift and has just a treasure trove of knowledge with regard to these things. He and I don't always get, uh, agree. Um, Which I'm, is very I'm, Jewish. That, that's right. Well, Who Jews, three opinions. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I think uh, I might have told you, we found out back in our genealogical history, I do have a Jewish ancestor. Well, there uh, you go. A woman uh, several generations back. Um, so I... I you know, I feel like I'm I'm part of the tribe in more ways than one now. Mm -hmm. But um, so uh, we did get one comment come in. Um, this is from Slam RN watching on on YouTube, and Slam RN says, "I'm in a study with Jeff Cran, who I believe is associated with Chosen People Ministries. Are you familiar familiar with Jeff? Absolutely, he is. Uh, he's part of our ministry, part of our work. He's in Arizona, so yeah, he's a, he's cool. a graduate of the same school that I went to. It, uh, at Biola University. Awesome. Oh, very cool. Look at that. Small world, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, Slam RN. I hope you're enjoying the Bible study. And um, yeah, I just want to reiterate that call for anyone who's interested in learning more. Go to RoySchwartz.org and get teaching resources. And uh, if you're also curious, you can go to ChosenPeople.com. Mm -hmm. ChosenPeople.com right. for Chosen People Ministries. And, and there's tons of resources there as well. Yes, and I've I've drawn on those resources myself. So, all right, well, uh, Dad, Roy Schwartz, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate this, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to many. So, thanks. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Okay, Joe. God bless you. Thanks you for too. having me. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, thanks for watching this episode of the Think Podcast. 
I sure hope it was beneficial for you. And you know what? If you'd like to support the work of the Think Institute, the Think Podcast, all the stuff that we are doing, you can support us by going to give.cru.org, give.cru.org. We are missionaries, my wife and I, with uh, with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, we are part of the very, very biblical, gospel-centered, non-woke division of Crew called Church Movements. And I always point that out just in case anybody has any questions or uh, concerns. So go to give.crew.org slash 1018841 to support our work. You guys have been so incredibly generous, and you are the ones keeping us um, able to do these to do this ministry. And it's not just the podcast. Um, we do, we're developing curriculum for homeschool co-ops. I'm actually going to be teaching at a homeschool co-op in the fall in our area, in the Tri-Cities area of Illinois. And we also do our cohort-based courses through the Hammer and Anvil Society, which you can learn more about at thethink.institute. And uh, we do church trainings. And I actually have a conference that I'm going to be speaking at the Cruciform Conference coming up next month in June down in Indianapolis. So all of these different um, endeavors we're able to do because of our ministry partners, our supporters, and uh, those who partner with us financially, yes, but also prayerfully. And I would really ask for your prayers as we are, um, you know, entering into the summer months and summer can be a dead time for ministry. It can also be a really exciting time for ministry for ministries like ours because a lot of churches are scaling back their regular programming and it's a great time to bring someone in to talk about apologetics, the biblical worldview, um, how to share your faith. And so please pray for us. Please partner with us if the Lord leads you in that direction and um, always let that be second to your local church, of course. So thanks for listening and man, I really hope you heard something helpful. I know I definitely did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. Until next time, I hope it made you think.